Did construction workers find a mysterious crystal skull on top of the pyramid in Memphis, Tennessee? The internet says it's true. Welcome, 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 welcome. It's the internet says it's true. Uh, Every week here we learn something that sounds like it's made up, but it's really true. Part of the WCBE podcast experience. My name is Michael Kent. Welcome back. We've got another brand new episode for you this week, and this story is likely something you've never heard about. And that's assuming that you even knew that there was a giant pyramid near downtown Memphis in the first place. You're going to like this one. I want to remind you to join the Patreon if you're a fan of the show. The Patreon subscriptions have sort of slowed down a bit lately, and that's despite me offering more and more benefits there. So if you're not a member and you want to sign up, you can do that at patreon.com slash Michael Kent. And if you do, there are a whole host of things that uh, you get access to. It's patreon.com slash Michael Kent. You can even sign up at just a dollar a month just to show you're listening and that you appreciate the show. Thank you to those of you who have already decided to sign up there. And if you haven't gotten your merch yet, you can get a t-shirt or a mug with the show's logo on it through the website. That's the internet says it's true.com. Click merch and Patreon members get 20% off anything you buy there. So here's this unusual story and it's about the pyramid of Memphis and a guy named Isaac Tigret. If you've ever visited Memphis, Tennessee, You'll know that just northwest of downtown, on Wolf River Harbor, there's a giant glass and metal pyramid. That's actually the 10th largest pyramid in the world, and the story that goes along with it is wild. Since the mid-1950s, Memphis was searching for that tourist attraction that would bring people to the city. Sure, they had Beale Street, Blues, Barbecue, and Graceland, but they wanted their version of the St. Louis Gateway Arch that symbol of downtown Memphis that would be an icon synonymous with the city. One effort over the years to do this was the development of Mud Island, which is basically a park with some homes in the middle of Wolf River Harbor, just off the Mississippi River. It was meant to be a notable destination in Memphis, but it never really delivered. On my first visit to Memphis, Mud Island housed the famous B-17 bomber, the Memphis Bell, which at the time was in horrible disrepair. City planners in Memphis wanted their St. Louis Arch, and a small island park didn't cut it. Starting in 1954, a Memphis artist, Mark C. Hartz, drew up a plan for a series of pyramids to be constructed downtown. The biggest one would be two-thirds the size of the Great Pyramid of Giza in Egypt. It wasn't until 30 years later that Mark's son, John, brought the idea back up. This time, The plan was for a single bronze, glass-glazed pyramid, and a charismatic, if not eccentric, entrepreneur helped to make that a reality. So let's talk about that guy, Isaac Tigret. He's most famous for founding the Hard Rock Cafe and the House of Blues. Yes, both of them. Did you know they were both started by the same guy? I didn't. He started Hard Rock Cafe with Peter Morton and House of Blues with Dan Aykroyd. Some other interesting stuff about Tigret. He married Maureen Starkey, and if that name sounds familiar, she was the ex-wife of Ringo Starr. If you've ever seen the Get Back documentary or the Let It Be rooftop concert, she's there with Linda McCartney and Yoko Ono. She's also the one that had an affair with George Harrison, but that's a whole digression. So Tigret married her. Tigret was instrumental in helping to get the Memphis Pyramid built. Part of that motivation was that the pyramid would be home to one of his Hard Rock Cafe locations but the main use of the pyramid was as a basketball arena. It was meant to be the home court for the University of Memphis, 
and eventually the Memphis Grizzlies basketball team, and could then also house concerts and large events. The venue would be home to a music museum, a radio station, and would operate in conjunction with a nearby theme park. Tigrit brought Sidney Schlenker to Memphis to manage construction. He was a developer and part owner of the Denver Nuggets. Construction began on the pyramid in September of 1989, and the total cost to build the place was $65 million. Construction was continually delayed because of torrential rains and flooding. Most of the plans for the stores and museums inside of the pyramid fell through after a falling out between Schlenker and Tigrit. The 321-foot-tall Memphis Pyramid opened as an arena only in November of 1991. The first event to be held was a concert, the country mother and daughter duo, The Judds. But because of all the issues and confusion in construction, the plumbing wasn't planned appropriately, and when all of the concert goers flushed the toilets, the local infrastructure couldn't handle it. The toilets backed up, throwing sewage into the bathrooms and hallways of the arena. It was not a good start. In fact, the Memphis Pyramid has been plagued with issues throughout its entire existence. Only a few years after being built, the University of Memphis basketball team moved to the new FedEx Arena, where the Memphis Grizzlies were now playing. See, the pyramid didn't offer these teams the amenities needed for major basketball games, and the cost to upgrade it didn't make sense. It did still host a few basketball tournaments and concerts, like Mary J. Blige, the Rolling Stones, and the Grateful Dead. But there just wasn't enough use to keep the place open, and they closed it in 2004. It sat empty for a decade. Other than occasional rental use, at one point it was converted to a soundstage for a film. Because of its continual failures and lack of use, it became known as the Tomb of Doom. But could this sequence of unfortunate events be the result of a curse? Isaac Tigret thinks so, and he blames it all on the removal of a crystal skull. There was a time that humans used 100% organic products as healing balms and moisturizers for their skin. Well, I've partnered with an awesome company that wants to get back to those times. Fatco sells organic and responsibly made tallow-based skincare products. For centuries, humans used tallow in skin moisturizers and healing balms, but unfortunately, the topical application of these fats seemed to stop around the same time that animal fats stopped being considered part of a healthy diet. A lot of modern skincare products do more harm than good by stripping your skin of its natural oils. Let's change that. You can try them out now at fatco.com and get 15% off your order by using my promo code INTERNET. Go to theinternetsaysitstrue.com slash deals for the link. Hi, this is Sue Foley, inviting you to listen to Music Journeys. Hear local and national artists share how the love of music began and what inspired their latest project. Mike Foley blends it all together with some music. Now, you can't believe him if he says he's related to me and inherited my musical talent, but you can be sure that other Foley will deliver a worthwhile listening experience, too. Listen to Music Journeys Saturday mornings at 1130 on WCBE and in the podcast experience at WCBE.org. If you love listening to this podcast every week and you want to show your support, that would mean a great deal to me. You can do that by becoming a Patreon member. We've got members at all levels, whether you want to pledge $1 a month or $10 a month. Just think about the value that you receive from this show. And if you like the histories and the stories that you learn about or the jokes that you hear, and if you think that they're worth it, consider signing up. 
For that, you get every episode ad-free and a week early, access to bonuses like the unedited videos of the guest appearances, and 20% off all merchandise. You can sign up today at patreon.com slash michaelkent. That's patreon.com slash michaelkent. In 1991, the year that the Memphis Pyramid was officially opened, construction workers found a small metal box welded to the very top of the pyramid. It wasn't in the construction plans, and they had no idea what it was. Concerned, they consulted with officials and decided to remove the box and open it. Inside, they were overcome with the smell of incense and were absolutely shocked to find a blue velvet box containing a small crystal skull. They didn't know what the heck it was or why it was there. Furthermore, they didn't know who had placed it there, and it wasn't long before they found out. The answer was Isaac Tigret. When Tigret heard they removed it, he said, quote, You don't have any idea what you have done. Now, this is where I learned a new word this week. The skull was an apotropaic object. That's an object that is meant to have the power to avert or ward off evil influences or energies. And Tigret had put the skull there on the advice of Satya Sai Baba. Sai Baba was one of India's famous godmen. He was a Hindi guru or swami and was seen by his followers as a god incarnate. His followers were extremely devout and his fame rose to the point where he had incredible power. Political power, power over his followers, and just power in India in general. This guru had been claiming special power since the age of 14, and as an older man, small and frail with a large afro-style hairdo, he would draw thousands when he made an appearance. One of the things he would use to prove his powers was the materialization of objects, holy ashes, small eggs, jewelry, and gold. These things are called lingams, and they're supposedly proof that he is a divine being, or at least an avatar of a divine being. I've seen video of this, and as a professional magician, I can tell you it was all done through magician's tricks. He was palming a ball of ash between his thumb and hand and just crushed it when he needed ashes. For the egg, it was in the cloth he used to wipe his mouth beforehand. Sai Baba was a charlatan. Nonetheless, people believed that he had divine powers. So when Isaac Tigret saw him use his magic powers to materialize a crystal skull, he believed him. The story of how Tigret came to know Sai Baba is also a weird one. As a young man, Tigret struggled with drugs and alcohol. He was in California and he was driving drunk, going 90 miles an hour in his Porsche, and he drove his car off a cliff. The car was completely totaled, but Tigret described a figure materializing to him and holding him as the car landed. The figure vanished into thin air and Isaac walked away unscathed. Years later, he saw a photo of Satya Sai Baba and said, That's the man. That's the man who appeared to me and saved me. He flew to India and tried to get a meeting with Sai Baba, but didn't meet him until 14 years later. He had been requesting an audience with Sai Baba, but the guru apparently took offense to the fact that Tigret owned these restaurants that served animal meat and served alcohol. It wasn't until after he divested himself of those restaurants that Sai Baba agreed to meet with him in person. He was a devoted follower for the rest of his life until Sai Baba died in 2011. Now, there's a lot more to that story, including the fact that Sai Baba was a scumbag who molested kids and Tigret didn't care and followed him anyway. But that's not the point of this story. 
Tigret once donated a huge sum of money to Sai Baba in order to help build a hospital. And one of the times they met in person, the guru pretended to materialize this small crystal skull about the size of a fist. He gave it to Tigret, and as Tigret told Sai Baba about his plans for this pyramid, he was instructed to place the crystal skull there, along with instructions about exactly how it should be placed, which direction it should face, all the details. Sai Baba said if the skull were to be disturbed, it would result in catastrophic consequences, financial ruin, heartache, etc. So now we return back to 1991 when the skull was removed. Obviously, Tigret was angry when he found out. He claims that even though the skull was removed, there are still several other hidden mystical artifacts in the pyramid that have never been found. At that point in development when the skull was uncovered, he was no longer involved with the project, but he fought them to get the skull back into his possession. But the bigger problem was this curse. Removing the skull was supposed to unleash a curse. Did that happen? Well, it's tough to say. They don't call it the Tomb of Doom for nothing. The pyramid has had nothing but problems since it opened. In addition to financial problems, there have been a couple deaths associated with the location. One of them was a stagehand that fell to his death. Another was someone who was shot and found in the parking lot. And if none of that is proof enough, this one is the nail in the coffin. Or nail in the sarcophagus, I guess. This pyramid, this location that was meant to be a state-of-the-art tourist destination with professional sports and shops, this place that was meant to be the new icon of the city of Memphis, is now currently a Bass Pro Shops. It's time for the part of the podcast where I call a friend, and today we're calling musician Dan Malone. Dan performs as Danny Moon. He's currently touring with Danny and Olive's Cabaret. He's also the owner of Red Porch Studios in Savannah, Georgia. What is going on, man? Man, I just got off the plane. I just got back in Savannah. I've been in New York for a lot of this past year, and you know what's really nice to come back? To the south this time of year because it's 75 and sunny it's like Wonderful. los angeles weather so that's good man but you know you being originally from michigan like you have to miss that that fall this is the first week we're really feeling fall weather here in ohio well okay so last weekend i was lucky enough to go to the annapolis maryland renaissance festival and i felt like i got a good a bit of fall there and then also went apple picking in upstate New York on Wednesday. Wow, so. that's very fall. You yeah, got, that's you got very a fall. good injection of fall stuff, man. Yeah. What were I got you doing enough. at the Ren Fair in Annapolis? Uh, my brother and his family lived there, and, and I had a, a Sunday off. So cool. he asked if I wanted to go, so I hopped on a bus, and, and it was a lot of fun. Ren Fairs are one of those things that I have, haven't done since I was a kid. And the other day... I texted, I don't know, there was some video, some TikTok video I was trying to share, and I texted it to two separate friends who don't know each other and who are in two different parts of the country, and both of them replied with an almost identical text saying, I'm going to have to watch this later, I'm at a renaissance fair. And I just thought it was so, the craziest thing that they both, but apparently maybe ren fairs are just much more popular than I think. So I thought it was going to be like, you know, 15 bucks at the door and, you know, a bunch of people you know, kind of our age dressed up you know, doing crazy Renaissance stuff. But this is like an installation. It's like it's like a whole city that they built for this nine week purpose. That's crazy. And it's and it's it's a permanent installment 
it's I mean it's a huge money maker. Let's not let's oh, not sure. get it twisted. But absolutely, it was pretty cool though. It was pretty wild. That's great, man. Well, it's good to see you again. I'm glad that you uh, you were able to come back on the podcast. Uh, we had a great time last time you were on, and this time we're talking about something that was a lot of fun for me to research this week. It's a weird uh, story. And so for this first question, Dan, we're going to play for a joke. So if you get it wrong, you have to tell me a joke. And if you get it right, I have to tell you a joke. So, okay, here's your question. There's a large, shiny pyramid in Memphis, Tennessee. It's the 10th largest pyramid in the world. Construction workers were surprised to find something secretly hidden in a box at the very top. Which one of these was it? A, a small crystal skull. B, a taxidermied dead bird, or C, a Civil War pistol. When was it built? Uh, 91. It was finished in 91. Finished in 91. Man, that's not a... Usually for these kind of things, I like to try to try to get context clues, but this one's there's, tough because none no of those context. things are really relevant. No, there's no context. This story is so weird. That's so weird. That so the tenth largest pyramid in the world, which has nothing to do with our country at all. <laughs> um. So just, uh, I'm just going to go out on a limb here because because of the sheer like craziness of the idea of having a pyramid in the United States and in Memphis. Um, I guess I would probably have to go with the crystal skull. Oh my gosh, you are correct. I did not think you were going to get that. That is the correct answer. And it's the weirdest story, man. So they found this crystal skull, and it all goes back to this guy, Isaac Tigret, Tigret, Isaac Tigret. And he was essential for getting this thing built. And when they were building it, it was going to have a huge hard rock cafe in the inside. Isaac Tigret was the guy that started both Hard Rock Cafe and House of Blues. Um, so this guy was a very big devotee of this guru in India, um, Satya Sai Baba and Satya Sai Baba came to him in a vision years and like decades before he ever met the guy. And so this was, you know, this is his story. So then, uh, Sai Baba used to do these elaborate productions of rich items, right? So he would make like watches and jewelry appear. And for Tigret, he made this crystal skull appear in his bare hands. He's doing magic tricks, basically, right? So he made this crystal skull appear and he said, put it in the pyramid you're building, orient it this way so it's facing this particular direction. And if anyone ever moves it, it will be catastrophic. And of course, these construction workers found it because they didn't know what the heck it was and it wasn't supposed to be there. It wasn't in the plans. Um, and they, they removed it and and Tigret goes, you have no idea what you've done. <laughs> <laughs> that was also, when did Indiana Jones come out? I feel like it was around that time. Yeah, I feel like the Crystal Skull one was probably after this. Um, but I'm not exactly sure. Because that was like the most recent one until the one they're making or have made recently. So, Oh, I was just thinking about just like the, not even, was there an actual Crystal Skull? In, there was, in, yeah. There's an oh. Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull, which was the one with, uh, with, um, Oh, is it Shia okay. LaBeouf in that one? I, I don't know. Like there is a there is one specifically about crystal skulls. Wow. Well, I was thinking about like the the idol, like the yeah. The, it is know, very much a, an Indiana Jones type thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
by the and way, Indiana Jones loved to go to Hard Rock Cafe. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Hard Rock Cafe never got built uh, in there. And that entire pyramid is now just a Bass Pro Shops. True story. That, that was the catastrophe. <laughs> yeah, that is part of the that is part of the catastrophe. Yes. Prophecy fulfilled. <laughs> so, um, you know, what's what's interesting about this whole story and our listeners have just heard a, lo- a lot about this, but um, there were a series of catastrophes, most of them financial in nature. You know, the whole p- plans for the thing basically just crumbled. It was supposed to, it was opened as a basketball arena. But it wasn't very well suited for, as a basketball arena, and none of the stores and restaurants that were supposed to go in it really ever went in it. So, you know, when the Memphis Grizzlies came to town and brought this NBA team to Memphis, they wouldn't play in there. They built their own stadium, and then as a result, Memphis State, who was playing in there, ended up playing in the new FedEx Arena Stadium, which is way better than the Pyramid. So it sat vacant for ten years. Nothing happened in there for ten years. Just a big giant pyramid and if you look on the map it's right downtown so that's what you get for not listening to the guy that tells you not to move the crystal skull yeah but that guy was also a known pedophile so it's okay if we don't listen to this guy well, maybe was hopefully was some catastrophe dude. came down on him too yeah it did it was called cancer uh i believe Ooh, that's i'm not sure nice. yeah Man, i don't, I don't I just know if that's worse dark. than what i was thinking or not. <laughs> I, I just i just took this real dark i owe you a joke let's lighten it a little bit what did the professor say when a student asked if pyramids were essentially squares i don't know what he said yes but only up to a point ah uh, that's good <laughs> stupid it's it's not even i don't even that's stupid uh so you're touring <laughs> with with danny and olive yeah yeah yeah. And, and you were just in, in Columbus, Ohio a couple months ago doing that. We were, and we're going to be back there um, at this cool event space called uh, Soto Terra. Ooh, I don't know this place. It's on Neal Avenue right in the short north. Okay. And we're going to be there Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Ah, I'll be in, in Florida at that time. Well, I'm you'll that have to send, send everyone else. I will, yeah. We'll put another thing on Facebook for everyone to see and get some folks to your to your gig. Yeah, so, it's, we're kind of doing this cool thing. Oh, like, you know, we've, it, it's been picking up steam. We're going to be in yeah, Puerto well, Rico. Yeah, tell the and, listeners, like, what is Danny and Olive? So, uh, Danny and Olive, I'm Danny and Danny Moon, and yeah. Olive Tuparti is my partner um, and girlfriend, and she's a burlesque performer and MC and just, you know, badass. Uh, and we developed this cabaret um, that we've been performing since, I guess, March. Um, but it's comedy. It's uh, it's songs that that I've written uh, that we've arranged together. Um, and yeah, it's just fun. She does a couple of burlesque numbers. We're developing a couple of burlesque numbers for me. So it's it's just Whoa, a lot of fun. It's it's cool. uh, it's it's an interesting pivot for me. I'm so used to doing. Um, you know, music performances, but this I get to do comedy. I get to make, you know, I get to tell stories and do jokes, and you know, it's as you know, it's a lot of fun to incorporate those second and third levels into your show. Yeah, it makes it it, it makes it easier to perform for you know an hour, hour and a half, certainly. Now, what uh, you if you've never done burlesque before? What are you doing? What exactly is your are your burlesque burlesque segments like? So her burlesque numbers, she's a burlesque performer, and I play live music to her. I, well, I thought you said you were doing some burlesque well, numbers. Well, we're, we're developing those. Okay, 
Okay. So I'll, I'll give you I'll give you one are idea. You, like, are have. you doing like full tassels and everything, or are you? Uh, I I maybe, but I don't. <laughs> uh, the here's here's the here's here's one of them that I want to do. Okay. I want to have a I want to have a full drum set center stage. Yeah. And and I want to be wearing a, a tux with tails, and and I want to sit down at the drum set and start playing, just like a very kind of sensual jazz style drum solo, and then as the solo progresses. Uh, Olive is going to tear items of clothing off of me that are like you know stripified, so to speak, sure, to make them terrible. And, terrible, <laughs> terrible. It's the and, name um, of the act. Terrible. Yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. And and then also take away parts of the drum set. Oh, cool. So so as I'm going, the solo becomes more honed in. The clothing becomes less, and at the end, the big reveal. Is that and and she has to take away the stool. So that what's what's left is going to be a snare drum, and essentially just like a G string. But at the front of that G string, is going to look like a tux with tails in itself. Oh, interesting. So, so it's kind of like a a funny. You know, I I really like that, like that idea. Uh, it reminds me of um, my friend Eric Buss, who is a, a magician, did a, a bird act where he's making doves appear as he took off his clothes. Which, nice. uh, you know, the obvious joke there is that, you know, it's in your sleeve, it's in your jacket, it's on those stuff. So in the end, he's just on stage wearing boxers and, I, you know, he's taking his clothes off and hanging them up on a rack behind him and he's still making birds appear. It was it was brilliant. And I, I, I can see that in my head right now. She's taking away cymbals and eventually she takes away the bass drum and you just got that snare drum between your legs. I think it's great, man. I think right? it's going to be yeah. really good. Yeah, well, let's let's keep going for question two. We're going to play for an admission of something we want to do better this year. So with the three months remaining in the year, something that we want to improve. Here is your question. Where does the city of Memphis, Tennessee, derive its name? From where? Uh, which one of these things? A, the last name of the man who founded it. B, it's named ap- after Memphis, Egypt. Or C, nobody knows. <laughs> uh, wow. Um, hmm. Well, we all know that the real founder of Memphis, Tennessee was the king, Elvis Presley. So it's definitely not that. Um, it's got, I mean, just going with the theme, it has to be Egypt. You are correct. It's Memphis, Egypt. I was really shocked to learn this. I have never heard of Memphis, Egypt. And I was reading this article about this story, and it kept referring to Memphis when it was talking about Egyptian pyramids and stuff. And I'm like, that has to be a typo. They had to have done like a find and replace of like, you know, Cairo and Egypt and Memphis or something. But no, there is a Memphis, Egypt, and that's where the city got its name. And so that is where sort of they derived this idea back in the 1950s that there would be these pyramids. The original plan was for three pyramids, but there would be these pyramids downtown to symbolize, like give their, their whole goal was for it to be their version of the St. Louis arch. That's what they wanted. Um, and instead they ended up in the nineties with one single horrible pyramid. So, yeah, first of all, they have Graceland. They do have Graceland and, and which isn't really downtown, but still, um, but but my, my point was going to be like, and maybe I'm wrong. I guess I'm just assuming that the St. Louis Arch is in in some way like unique. 
Right. Maybe I'm wrong. I think so. But I, I don't think there are any large arches like that. So if I was going to create something for my city to symbolize it, I probably wouldn't start with, hey, what's been done before? <laughs> that's a good point. That's, <laughs> that's, that is a, a fair point. Um, and Graceland is a one of a kind. So, Especially um, like the birthplace of the blues. Like they could, absolutely. They could have like a big blues guitar in the middle. So, so much many they could do. They could have done. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. With uh, a, well, of course, with a crystal skull at the top. <laughs> with the, in the top of the guitar, and nobody knows why. Right. For, right. So I owe you an admission of something I want to do better this year. This one is a no-brainer. Um, I want to find bliss and joy in the mundane. Um, I have been a victim of this, like these wild swings of ups and downs going. So going back on the road and, and touring again for the first time in a few years, like I get excited for shows um, and sometimes not even excited. Sometimes just like, it's just the next big thing to look forward to doing, you know, it's like, so I, I, and then after that, when there's the down period, I tend to feel more like anxiety, depression, loneliness, boredom. And like, I always have preached about like being able to find comfort in the in-between times in the lulls because most of life is made up of those in-between times. And so lately, I think that's my goal, at least for these next three months to try to like to to be able to do something that I don't necessarily feel excitement about and still find bliss and joy and um, and and, you know, I don't want to say happiness because none of this is I'm not really talking about happiness. I'm talking about these feelings of elation, right? Like to find that in the mundane, I think is my goal. So that's really profound. I, that's such a good answer. I love that. And Thank you know, you. I don't know if you're, I don't know if your listeners are aware, but I feel like you've been doing that a lot lately with your, with your photography, your wildlife photography. Well, that is, that is a good point. And maybe that is the answer because I do the photography a lot more in the winter. Um, I appreciate like the birds that I take photos of or uh, I just like photographing them in the winter a little bit more winter and like early spring are the, the best times for that. Um, I have not been out taking photos lately. I haven't made time for that. So maybe that is part of that goal is that, you know, doing those those things that help me sort of find myself. But even then, like, I guess what I'm saying is I want to be able to to find joy and like the stuff that I don't even, I'm not even excited about doing, like even when I'm not out there doing photos, like even, you know, like when I'm, yeah. I just know that I have to come home and like mow the lawn, you know, something yeah, like, that I'm not necessarily looking forward to doing, but finding somehow finding like bliss in that. I think there's, there's something to be said for that. So, yeah, I mean, that could really run away with you. That could really run away on you though. You got to really be careful because you know, sometimes it's okay to think of it as mundane, right? Like, yeah, I you don't sit think... down with your cup of coffee and you're like, I'm so excited to do my yeah, taxes. But... This is going to be great. Yeah, but like the coffee, you know, even coffee, I really can find enjoyment in that quiet, that quiet cup of coffee. But yeah, oh, stuff like sure. taxes is a great example because like, you know, I get so much anxiety about preparing for, and I don't do my own taxes, but I have to prepare all the stuff to give to the tax preparer, which in and of itself, between my wife's business and my business is like, it's a chore and I hate doing yeah. it and I feel anxiety about it, but it would be really cool if like I could turn that into something where just in my, the way that I think about it could be something exciting, you know, even 
maybe if it's that I create a new tradition where like we order pizza and and drink some beers and do our tax stuff, you know, like whatever it might be. That's yeah. Can I can I offer you something on this? Please. So I don't know if you know this about me or remember it, but I built this house. Yes. You, we talked and, about this briefly last time, which I think is okay. amazing. Well, the, the, a big lesson that I learned, because the whole thing was really daunting. I've, I've not been a builder before. I, I literally <laughs> just thought, you know, people that are half as capable as me and twice as old as me um, are really good at this stuff. So I thought, like, with enough thinking and focus, I can do this. And then I started doing it, and that, you know, that fog lifted, and and all of a sudden <laughs> it was this huge, daunting task, right? And right. you know, and all the anxiety associated with it. And um, so what I started doing was two twofold, and one of them is a little more practical than the other. But the first one was I'd walk through the house and I'd pick one little thing. And I'd walk through the house until I saw what I wanted to do that week or, you know, that next few days. Mm-hmm. And then I would just hyper focus on that to like take away from the big picture. Mm-hmm. So like with taxes, like, you know, I'm going to, to you know, organize all my W-9s from the road today. Right. You know, or, or, and then the second thing that I that I did, which is a little less practical, but a more emotionally practical was I just kept saying, you're going to blink and this is going to be done. Yeah. Like it's going to be done. Like just keep going. It's going to be done. Like sure. don't, don't worry about when, don't worry about how it's like one of these days it'll be finished and you don't have to do it anymore. I think that's so great like, advice. Yeah. And just sort of, and it's true. I mean, these, these moments that we stress about are just blips in our life. You know, they're just tiny little moments. And uh, we really will look back and be like, that was silly that I was so, anxious back then because none of that stuff was important so yeah absolutely so all right man great conversation let's let's keep going um for this question we're going to play for a sticker this is an internet says it's true sticker because i have these again and uh i didn't have them forever and i just got a brand new shipment of 500 of these bad boys and we'll see how long it takes me to get rid of them all um they're perfect for elevator floors and telephone poles we all I have know. so many. I have so many music cases, Mike. <laughs> oh, they go on the road. Music cases, absolutely. I don't do. Um, I have not filled my current cases with stickers. My old cases, I would do that. And the current cases I have for the last, I don't know, four or five years, I've said like, I'm going to leave these just plain. And but so I, I didn't. I I never did the thing where I I just collected stickers and put them on. Yeah. But they're all they're all special. All the stickers on my cases are special. They mean like places you've been and yeah, well, special places I've been or like yeah. a, a a drum store that I got a bunch of stuff in Austin, Texas, in or something sure. like that. Something that really meant something to me. So if I get actually, even if I don't get this right, you still owe me stickers from last time. <laughs> this is you and everyone else has been on the show. Uh, <laughs> so and like send me like you know send me as I many will. as you can. I At will, and the, then stick I can them around. Handle, I can handle up to seven. So stick if you send, send me seven stickers, people will see them. I promise. Yeah, and stick them on like you know light poles around Savannah. I would, I would love that. Uh, so we all know Elvis Presley got his start in Memphis. So did many, many other magicians. Which one of these musicians did not get their start in Memphis? Justin Timberlake, Johnny Cash, Stevie Wonder. One of them did not come out of Memphis. The irony here is you're 
you probably tried to make this the easiest question. <laughs> well, and, and, I don't and know. And I'm a musician. And I'm a professional I'm musician. I'm not trying to embarrass you at all. And and no, it's I, not I'm not sure I, I would I think I know the answer. I don't know if oh, I would have known this had I not like been re- reading about Memphis all week. Okay, so and I, my my first inclination is to go with Justin Timberlake because because of the uh you know like the Mickey Mouse Club stuff like he was a kid and that was his start I'm gonna go with Justin Timberlake the answer Stevie Wonder came out of Detroit Stevie, and I'm from Michigan. Yeah. <laughs> Stevie came out of Detroit. Johnny Cash was Memphis. Justin Timberlake is from Memphis. Um and uh his his Man of the Woods tour, which was his most recent world tour, was sort of an homage to his Memphis roots, but uh Stevie Wonder came out of Detroit as little Stevie, um tiny little dude playing a harmonica and just killing it on the keys. Um and that was all straight into Motown, you know. Does that mean I have to send you stickers? Yeah, you have to send me stickers. I want uh, Red Porch Records stickers, please. Shit, if you've I gotta got make them, some <laughs> yeah, for real, I gotta design some stickers now. Yeah, uh, uh, man. Well, well <laughs> so while we're talking about music, by the way, for this next okay. question, we're gonna play for a guilty pleasure album. So it's an album that maybe, like, when we blast it in the car, we maybe roll the windows up. You know, maybe maybe one of those albums that you only listen to when Olive's not around. I don't know. You know, like mm-hmm. if there's mm-hmm. if you have that sort of guilty pleasure um, music. I know I have one particular. I'm not know about an album, but I have one particular band that that I have in mind. So oh, same. same. This is this question revolves around something we've already kind of touched on. Museums around the world display Aztec crystal skulls. Which one of these three statements about the crystal skulls is true? A they're all fake. B, we don't know how the Aztecs made them. Or C, they're all made from a crystal that is not found in Mexico. Various places around the world. So they're displayed in various pla- in various museums around the world. Okay. But Aztec. they're all as they're all you know displayed as Aztec crystal skulls. Hmm. Well. So, huh? Um, I know there's a lot of there's a lot of folklore about Aztecian culture, and is that correct? Aztec culture, Aztec yeah, culture. Aztec, Mesoamerican, maybe I don't know. Yeah, and there's all this kind of mythology of, you know, maybe it was this alien thing, or maybe it was like they're so far advanced, and we don't even know how right. a lot of it happened. So that's kind of my inkling but then on that same kind of wavelength it's like well maybe the maybe the whole like alien thing maybe the maybe the none of the crystals are actually from mexico so i'm gonna say we don't know how they did it the answer they're all fake everyone is fake um and this is a brand new discovery as of like the last few years scientists so there were skulls that were carved out of various stones in Aztec culture um and not crystal they and they they did carve stuff out of crystal they did carve things uh skulls but not crystal skulls 
And the only reason they know it's fake is because the carving methods on these skulls isn't right. The shapes of the heads aren't right. Um, and so they have just basically said now they don't think that there were Aztec crystal skulls, which is crazy because these museums still have them. And some of the museums still insist that they're real. Um, so it might be a little bit of, you know, this might be like an up for debate type of thing. So if you are a, you know, uh, an archaeologist and you know that these crystal skulls are real, please write into the show and let's talk about it because maybe, maybe you're right. I don't know. Well, it makes sense though, now that you say it, right? Because the Aztecs, from my understanding, they, they got their skulls manually. (laughs) Well, (laughs) so I have to be careful about this because I did a whole, I did a whole episode about the Aztecs. Um, I had my brother who was a food scientist on the show and we talked about pozole, which is like a a Mexican stew dish thing. And I talked about how the, the reason that pork is the meat of choice in pozole is because it used to be made with cannibals or with, with people. It used to be people stew. And when the Spaniards came in, the conquistadors came in, they supposedly outlawed cannibalism and then they switched to pork because it tasted the most like human which is disgusting to talk about. I'm not sure what episode that is, but you can go and find that one. It's really interesting. I did a TikTok video about this, just like a 60 second explanation of this. And there were people in the comments saying, this is all defamatory false things started by the Spanish and it's all Spanish propaganda and it's not true of Aztec culture. So when I hear these things about, you know, cannibalism and Aztecs killing people, it's like, you got to be careful. Like, you know, you don't know what's, you know, his, yeah. the, the, it's the winners who write the history books, right? So who yeah, knows that's a great point. True. But I was, I was thinking about like the 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 sacrifices, right? Like the yeah, uh, that's, maybe maybe that's all made up. Who knows? I, I you know uh, the 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 what is it? The Mexico Institute of Archaeology or of History, or whatever. I can't remember what the source was that I found. Claims that it's true that they did sacrifice humans. They did put it in the stew as part of a celebration of a holiday. Um. But, you know, people still say it's fake. So, anywho, what's your what's your guilty pleasure album? Uh, or band, group, music? Well, okay. So, my guilty pleasure band and, and album, I'll give you both. Um, I don't listen to them very much. I went through a phase a couple years after we met where I really liked Fish. Oh, okay. And I, there's, there's an album, Junta is like one of their early albums. And it was a two-CD album. Uh, it's a studio album, which not a lot of people like Fish studio albums. But I've never heard of Fish studio album. <laughs> I really liked that album. And every once in a while, I'll seek it out. And I, I have to admit, like the last couple of times I sought it out, it didn't like hit the spot. Like, really? It, like, you didn't I, get the yeah. nostalgia blast, at least from the from the late 90s, early 2000s? No. See, that's the thing. Like, So I actually, this is a great this is a great example of this. I also recently went to a My Chemical Romance show. Sure. And it was kind of similar. It's not, it was almost like like leave it in the past where it was <laughs> where 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 it was it was touching on all the right like emotions and yeah. fish really really it was in that time where you're like exploring and like sure. freedom and freedom and music and I didn't you know, I wasn't really in my jazz phase yet, so it was kind of the the my intro to improvisation and, and like huh. kind of free music playing. So, yeah, interesting. But I still, I mean, I still think they're a really good band. Yeah, Allie and I went to uh, Three Eleven a couple months ago. Oh, I know. That's why you weren't at my show. Yeah, that's right. We had Three Eleven <laughs> tickets, and uh, it held up. But we, 
it's it's a lot of like nostalgia. Like Ali and I always go to three eleven, so like it was it's yeah. it was a little bit of nostalgia going on there. And I totally get it, man. Like the I had a Fish album in college. I've never been a big Fish fan, but the one that I had was like a double album, but it was all live. Uh, I'm not sure what it was actually, but um, I've never been to a Fish show or anything like that. I'm I feel like I would be a <clears throat> fish out of water in that <laughs> environment. But um, yeah, my my guilty pleasure album would be like B-52s, anything okay. B-52s, um, where it's kind of like cheesy, corny, pop, rock. Um, I love the the um, optimism in the sound of that music. There's, yeah. It's like hard I, to be I, in a bad mood when you're listening to the B-52s. Kind of like rockabilly, pop, disco kind of, right? Yeah, I mean, that's oh, like the, yeah, there's like a pop disco, but the rockability maybe comes in with like some of the like the aesthetic more than the music right like there's yeah there's there's that Uh aesthetic that's like very retro feeling and um that yeah that music's just all very bouncy and fun so that's my it's one of those where there's nothing wrong with that i like that the the other one i've been listening to a lot of that i necessarily wouldn't like blast is this group called the barcelona gypsy klezmer orchestra i might have those four words in the wrong order um but it's a it's a klezmer band like a spanish klezmer band with an amazing female lead singer and it is so much fun the songs are so much fun and like i was driving around chicago this weekend like just blasting it Uh, but with my windows rolled up (laughs) because i'm like this is really weird music so well, and, and I'm afraid of being know, judged. If you like it, you like it. That's you know? true. That's true. Maybe we shouldn't. Uh, we shouldn't be. You know, listen to that old fish album loudly. Right. So, music, music is like a, it's like your kink. There's no kink shaming. That's true. That is that yeah. is true. Uh, man, let's let's keep going here. This one. You know, right now you're two for two. So or two for four. Excuse me. You're two and two. So this one is sways the scales in either way. This is for all the marbles, Dan. If you get this wrong, I'm banning you from the podcast. You'll never be asked on again. But if you get it right, I'm happy to have you on again if you will come on. Here's your question. What object in your living space would cause catastrophe and curses if someone removed it? Ooh, that's easy. Oh, it's easy? Yeah. Okay, you're panning the camera over to, oh, to, to a, is that a baby grand? Yeah, full, that's a, my, my Steinway baby grand piano. Oh my God, that's beautiful. Steinway some, baby grand. If somehow that was gone. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine if you just walk in and it's gone. I, first of all, I'd be so impressed. And, and I have, you know, I have two, <laughs> I have two people who live in the, the, the bedrooms below me. And I'd be like, Mike, Thomas, what, what happened? <laughs> and if they said, what are you talking about? Then it'd be like, I might, I might have to call like the news. I'd be like, I think, I think my piano disappeared. It look, if there's a crystal skull in its place, it was definitely the aliens that did it. Well, yeah. so, and, and that would bring what kind of curses on your, on your studio slash house? Ooh. This is a part B to the question, I guess. You know what? I'm not that, I'm not that kind of guy. I would probably... I'd probably start looking at moving moving my studio to New York, and I would also probably start just going on Craigslist and Facebook Marketplace and trying to look for replacement baby grand pianos. <laughs> just get right back to work. 
I love you got it. to. I mean, what are you going to do? <laughs> Try to file an insurance claim and then see what see where I'm at. I got it. I got it, man. Well, thank you so much. You went three out of five, which is winning and means that you, uh, I would love to have you back on the podcast again sometime, man. So I know that you're tired from, from traveling home today, and so I'm going to let you go. But uh, it was so good to see you, and thanks for coming on the show again. Yeah, it's great to see you too. I, I'll be happy to be on anytime. I love this podcast. It's great. Thanks, man. Real quick, before you go, tell people where they can listen to your music. Okay. So um, if you go on Instagram, uh, Danny Moon Music, you can find links to my solo stuff and uh, redporchrecords.com. Also a couple video links, I think. And although I'm not very good at keeping up, I'm not good at that web admin stuff. Um and then Danny and Olive's Cabaret on Instagram. You'll find our tour schedule for the fall. I'll be all around the Southeast the next couple weeks with and without Olive um, doing some solo stuff and playing with a band called Lou the Giant and um, and then some cabaret stuff in Wilmington, North Carolina. But yeah, just I guess check Instagram for my dates and links. Sounds so, great, man. Go. go check Dan out. And uh, it's good to see you, man. Have a great week. Good to see you too, Mike. Talk soon. <laughs> That is all for this week. Thanks to my friend Dan Malone for being my guest. Here is a talking crystal skull. Thank you for listening to The Internet Says It's True. To listen to episodes ad-free and a week early, support us on Patreon. You can do that at patreon.com forward slash Michael Kent. If you learned something just now that you didn't already know, go to the Apple Podcast app and leave us a review with five stars and a few words. That helps us a ton because that's how the algorithm works. I don't know what an algorithm is, but just do it. See you next week for a brand new episode of The Internet Says It's True. The Internet Says It's True would like to thank the Patreon subscribers whose monthly contributions help to make the show possible. Dallas Ray, Sean Brown, Bryce Swanson, Eugene Anderson, Matt McVeigh, Jim Martin, Joanne Martin, and the show's official Emperor Kick Track. The show is written and produced by me, Michael Kent. The theme song is by Finite Music Forge, and additional music this week was from Asher Falero, East Jammy Jams, and Kevin McLeod. All audio clips in this episode are used for education and commentary and used under Fair Use Title 17, USC Section 107. You can listen to past episodes by searching for The Internet Says It's True wherever you get your podcasts, and you can see bonus content at patreon.com slash Kent.